May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, our Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I don't know about you, but I'm really good at evaluating things and judging things. So every time I go into a restaurant, I become like Greg Wallace from MasterChef. I sit there and I'm eating it, I'm judging everything, uh, everything about it, the food, the, the service. I'm just really good um, at judging things. I don't know if you're the same. I think we're really good at that, aren't we? We're, we're really good at looking at something uh, and, I, and judging it and working, we're able to work out whether that is right or wrong or good or bad. I think we're really good at that. I do it all the time watching sport. These footballers get paid millions of pounds every year and yet they miss penalties. I, I, what's going on? There was a book released in 2013 called The Cuckoo's Calling by Robert Galbraith. I don't know if you've heard of that or read that. It initially sold 1,500 copies. Um, sitting in Amazon's book list at number 4,709. It was then revealed, I think by accident... Uh, that that author was actually J.K. Rowling. And as soon as people knew that it was her that had written this book, it then became a bestseller. Um, I find that really interesting, how the world seems to evaluate people on the basis of their title or name or status or position the world loves to evaluate people, and I think we do too. And it's, it was no different for the Corinthians in the church that Paul is writing to. They love to evaluate people. They love to elevate one leader above another out of personal preference for the style of that leader. It happens in churches today. We evaluate our leaders and we put them on pedestals. Yet Paul will show us this morning that we must see and view our leaders in the right way. Not by the standards of the world, but by God's standard. And so first of all, in our chapter, chapter 4 this morning, Paul shows us how leaders will be evaluated he says in verse 1, this then is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. So Paul says, Paul, Apollos, all Christian leaders, you're to see them as servants of Christ, first of all. And servants here literally means under rowers, those people who were on the bottom tier of a ship, those unenvied, despised slaves uh, who would row the ship. 
they are under the authority of another. And here, Paul, Apollos, and all Christian leaders are servants under the authority of Christ. They're subject to him. They serve his name. And so Paul says, regard us as servants of Christ. He goes on to then say, regard us also as stewards, as those entrusted with the mysteries of God. It's literally a house manager. The house manager was someone uh, who was placed in complete control of the household. They supervised the property, the fields, the vineyards, the finances, the food, the other servants, all on behalf of their master. And so Paul the apostle, Apollos the minister, and all Christian leaders are stewards of God entrusted with the mysteries that God has revealed. And as we've seen already in Corinthians, those mysteries that have been revealed is God's plan of salvation written in the Scriptures. That is the the mystery of God that has been revealed, that has been entrusted to His ministers, the Bible. They're to be good stewards of what God has given them. They're to administer faithfully the preaching of the Word. The whole counsel of God written for us in this book. And so Paul says, regard us as Christian ministers, as servants of Christ, who steward the mysteries of God revealed to us by his spirit. And then he goes on to say, this is the test of a servant steward of God. Now it is required, in verse 2, that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. A servant steward must be faithful. Must be faithful to Christ and the task that they have been set. The Corinthians valued highly eloquence and human wisdom. Yet Paul rejects that worldly standard for evaluating leaders, Christian leaders. He says, the marker is the faithfulness of that minister. Servanthood and stewardship are inseparable from faithfulness. There are so many gifted and talented ministers, leaders, but above all giftedness and above all talentedness, we should look at character. We should look for the faithfulness of that leader. We should ask that question, how is the faithfulness to Christ in their life visible beyond what is seen in the church? Are they faithful in all areas of their life? We've seen it recently how so many gifted and talented or seemingly gifted and talented Christian leaders have fallen 
by the world's standards, they look successful. They've got big congregations. They speak with skill. People hang on to every word they say. Yet, they have fallen. Character is far more important than talent and skill. Yes, they're good, and we should work hard um, as ministers in our preaching, for example, but we should strive for being faithful to Christ and Him uh, and His Word. The Corinthians were evaluating Paul by worldly standards, but he goes on to show that actually, ultimately, it is Jesus who will judge. He is the one who will bring to light everything and show all things for what they are. And at that time, each will receive their praise from God. As a minister myself, those words bring comfort uh, to me. They bring comfort because so often the gospel, Christ and Him crucified, is seen as foolishness. We're seen as fools for believing it and proclaiming it as it's dismissed by so many around us. It brings comfort because ultimately Jesus will judge. He will bring to light all things. It brings comfort, but also it's a challenge not uh, to preach something different. Not to be tempted uh, to preach something that is more acceptable to people, that is seen as less foolish. So can I encourage us all to be in prayer often for our Christian leaders and ministers? Pray often that they will remain faithful to Christ and His Word. Because faithfulness is what is required of a minister of God. So Paul reminds them that a Christian minister that he and Apollos uh, and other Christian leaders are servant um, stewards. He then moves on to them and their attitude as followers. So far we've seen that uh, Paul has, been, uh, has avoided calling out specific leaders. He's used himself and, us, and Apollos as examples one of the big problems in the church was pride. It was boasting in a certain leader. And it was causing division within the church. And so picture a house and uh, the bricks. Uh, and picture that this group of bricks want to go in this direction. And this group of bricks want to go in a different direction. And this group of bricks want to go in, in another direction. What happens to the house, it falls. 
There's division, there's cracks, and the house begins to crumble because it is divided. And that is what is happening within the Corinthian church. And Paul is urging them to humble themselves and to remember what it is to be a Christian. They needed to remember again the gospel of grace that Paul first brought to them. They needed to remember and not look for something beyond that gospel. They thought Paul and his message was foolish and weak. Yet Paul wants to point them back to that message. Because as they're pointed back, as they remember what it is to be a Christian when they first believed, then they'll not be puffed up. They'll not be filled with pride. They won't put another leader against another. And then Paul in verse 7 gives this series of questions. What gives you the right to make such a judgment? The you here is singular. You individually, what gives you the right to make such a judgment? Because you all came to Christ in the same way. What do you have that God hasn't given you? We'll see as we go through this letter that the church in Corinth was so richly blessed. The Lord had blessed them richly. But it was no basis for pride. Because all they had was a gift from God. And if everything you have is from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? Paul reminds them and he reminds us that we have nothing apart from God's grace. And when we remember that, it should prevent us from elevating ourselves or any Christian leader above and against another. And Paul continues, uh, and you hear the sarcasm and irony in what he says in verse 8. Already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. You've begun to reign and that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign so that we also might reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like those condemned to die in the arena. And so Paul is saying, yes, one day we will reign with Christ. All Christians will reign with Christ. But you are acting like you've received that already. Yet if that were true, we as apostles would be reigning with you. They thought that they had already arrived. Yet Paul reminds them of the um, now but not yet of the gospel. Yes, in Christ we have all things now, but that will not be fully realized until Christ returns. If that were true, we apostles wouldn't suffer and be persecuted uh, as we are. Because it seems like God has left us at the end of the procession, uh, the procession that went um, to the arena, to the Colosseum uh, for the games, and those who came in last were the ones who would be the entertainment for the crowd as they were put before gladiators or, or the lions or whatever. And so Paul says, if we had already arrived, 
then we as apostles would not be suffering. We would not be persecuted. We would be reigning with Christ. And he goes on. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored. We are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. We are cursed. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up until this moment. To the Christians, Paul, Apollos, and the other leaders looked weak and foolish. Yet Paul wants to remind them that that is the Christian life. Jesus said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. That is the pattern uh, for us now, suffering now, glory later. That was true for Jesus, it, it was true for Paul, and it's true for all of God's people. They had distanced themselves from Paul and his message of the cross. They had rejected any thought of costly discipleship. Instead of picking up their cross, they had taken up their crowns. Paul is reminding them that we will seem foolish and weak to the world. We will be ridiculed for our faith. We don't avoid it. We don't seek it out. Instead, we persevere through it. We are to endure to the very end. I wonder how often we look back to that time when we first became a Christian. How often do you sit and remember when you first believed? When we look back to that point where we repented and believed in Christ and his message, we came to Christ with nothing. Our hands were empty. We had nothing to offer him. But now as Christians, we lack nothing. And that will be fully realized when Christ returns. But we must never forget that all that we have now, we, we must never think that we've arrived forgetting that we came to Christ with nothing. And that is true for every Christian. We came to Christ with nothing. Everything we have now is a gift from God. That should um, urge us and encourage us not to boast either in ourselves or in a Christian leader. When we're tempted to boast, just as the Corinthians uh, were doing, look back and remember. We came with nothing. Everything we have is a gift from God. And finally, Paul 
gives a plea for action. These words so far from Paul have been quite harsh. They've been really challenging for the people to hear. But notice again the tenderness and compassion that Paul speaks with. I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Paul's not trying to shame the Corinthians. But instead, from the point of view of their spiritual father, to turn away from their worldliness that they so loved. As their spiritual father, he sees their waywardness and calls them to reject the pride, their pride and to repair their divisions. It was love that motivated Paul to write to the Corinthians. He cared deeply for them. But they needed to take action now. They needed to do something with what Paul was writing to them. And so he speaks with the authority of an apostle, but with the tenderness of a father. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. And so as a spiritual father, he longs for them to repent and return to the message of the cross. He appeals to them as the one who first brought them the gospel message to imitate me. It's where we get our word mimic. Paul wants them to imitate him. Because that's what children do. They look at their parents, they see what they do, and they do what they see their parents doing. Unless uh, you've got a teenager in the house who completely ignores everything you say and do because they know better. And that is what, that is, what is happening in the Corinthian church. It's a church filled with teenagers who think they know better. And so Paul pleads with them as their spiritual father to get back to the gospel, to get back to Christ and him crucified. And Paul says, imitate me. Imitate me in my boasting in Christ. In Christ and him crucified, not in worldly things. And to remind them of that, Paul sends Timothy to uh, the Corinthians to remind them. Paul will return, he says. And when he does return to the church in Corinth, will he find that the house is in order, that they've done something with what he said, or will he need to come um, with the rod to discipline his children? Paul could say, do as I say, and do as I do. Can we say the same as disciples of Christ? Because we should want to grow together as disciples. We should be ready and willing to allow others into our lives, to see our lives in order to grow as disciples 
of Christ. I remember when I first became a Christian and I was asked by somebody in the church who had been a Christian for a long time whether I wanted to pray with that person. And so we would meet weekly, we'd have breakfast and we'd pray. And it was such a blessing to me as a new Christian to sit with somebody and hear how they prayed. It was such a blessing to me to see that. And it had such an impact on my life. So when I would read in my Bible, pray always, I saw it then in this person, in practice, what that meant to pray always, to pray about all things. It was such such a blessing to me to see that uh, from somebody who'd been a Christian for so long. So let me encourage us this morning to be ready to share our lives uh, with those around us, to show how Christ and his word uh, has got us through times of suffering that other people are now suffering with, has got us through dealing with a particular sin uh, in our lives, has got us through learning what it is to live the Christian life, to pray always, to be a Christian in the workplace. Whatever it is, let us be ready to be disciples together, opening our lives up as we seek to grow as followers of Christ for his praise and for his glory. Amen.